The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, it's getting dark out there, man. Yeah, it makes me feel tired. You know, this time change thing is real. We should probably talk about that today. All right, sounds good. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Do you remember encyclopedias? Of course I remember encyclopedias. Man. I'm much older than you. The encyclopedia industry did not know what hit them. No. Hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How are you today? I'm doing so well. How are you doing? Enough of that. Welcome, everyone, to this podcast entitled The Lab Report, brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and the like. Wow, you're just cutting right to the chase today, huh? Look, we've got a lot to cover. Not even a banter of how are you. We've got a lot to cover. Other than the encyclopedia bit, we need to get right to it. Fair point. But... First and foremost, some housekeeping. If you're new to the show, welcome. And if you're returning, thank you. Hopefully you've gone to iTunes or Spotify and you've subscribed to our show. Thanks. Left us some stars, feedback, Mm -hmm. rate and review, all of those things. And if you've got additional feedback, you can send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net. That's how you communicate with us. That's right. And to your point initially, it... It is getting darker, right? This time of year, you go Seems home. Seems to happen for, every year yeah. around this time. It's, <laughs> it's strange. You go from work. To, At first, I didn't to, notice it. Right? No, it's 530 and you're like, wow, it's really dark out. Yeah. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, light, this whole mm-hmm. light thing. You're right. The sun. Oh, yeah? It's important. Kind of. Yeah. Our body is actually like really uh, primed by its responses to light and I mean, have you heard of this thing called the circadian rhythm? I have, in yeah. fact, yes. Yeah. We've so, touched on it intermittently on this show. Have we? Yeah, we did the HPA axis episode. Oh, I'm glad. That's and then we're nice. talking about intermittent fasting. We talked about different circadian rhythms. Right. That's a good backdrop, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the circadian rhythm is essentially in response to light stimulus. Mm-hmm. So it sets the whole thing. That's right. And we also talked on previous episodes about that whole concept of chronobiology, how everything has its own time clock, right? Even different parts of our body have different time clocks, but everything is supposed to work together in this normal chronobiologic way in a circadian rhythm way. Yeah. And then the earth goes around and just starts messing it up <laughs> well, the Earth because didn't mess it creates it up. these different seasons <laughs> based on how it's rotating around the sun. Way to go, nature. <laughs> but I think it's more the whole creation of daylight savings time or any of those time zone changes that have really messed it up. I think the Earth is doing it right and all of those other things messed it up. Oh, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Man. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe man added insult to injury by mm-hmm. being like, okay. you know, how do we improve upon this whole light-dark thing? We just shift hours around, mm-hmm. right? So probably adding insult to injury. But the very nature of there being different seasons also lends itself to people having, you know, most commonly seasonal affective disorders is very common, and that's in response to a seasonal change. All right. Well, I'll, I'll accept that point. I'll accept that. Well, let's start by kind of defining what we mean we keep saying the word circadian rhythm what do we we mean by that exactly 
Okay, well, like any good discussion, I think uh-huh. we need to start with defining terms. I love defining terms. We need a defining terms jingle. <laughs> I love it. Work on that. Okay. So with that, do you have like the entomology of circadian? Entomology is the study of bugs, Michael. Right. You mean etymology. That's what I said. <laughs> circadian comes from the Latin. So circa means around and then dium means day. So it's really just the study of biological rhythms through the course of a day. Good defining terms. So just to add another term definition in there, Mm -hmm. circadian rhythm is just one aspect to this field called chronobiology, which is essentially studying the impact of time on biological processes. Right. And so as it relates to what we're going to talk about today, we're talking about how the decrease in light at this time of year can play a significant impact on your health and on your wellness. And so I think a good place to start is just in the concept of the underlying circadian rhythm of day versus night as it relates to your HPA axis. Okay. So your retina Mm -hmm. is what picks up light. And there's interactions between your retina and your central nervous system in response to that light. And that's kind of what like starts the clock in the morning. Um, So ultimately, there's these connections between the hypothalamus and in your brain, the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Wow. Look at you. See? Super smart. I, I, I read too. Good for you. And in response to that, Mm -hmm. the suprachiasmatic nucleus actually interacts with the adrenal gland and the HPA axis to secrete cortisol. So this is part of the cortisol awakening response as soon as you wake up and helps regulate cortisol throughout the day. Right. And so in the evening when there is no light, Mm -hmm. that suprachiasmic nucleus part of your brain getting, you know, some signals from your retina. Or lack of signals. Correct. Then stimulates your pineal gland to make melatonin, which spikes while you're sleeping. It's made in the dark phases of your day. So they kind of work opposite of each other to kind of help regulate that day and night diurnal circadian rhythm. Yeah, it sort of acts as like the, the temperature gauge mm-hmm. of how much light is available to the retina. And then that, it responds accordingly. So you see how much light really does play a part in all of this signaling. So when it comes to this time of year, you see why that might be a problem. And one problem that might come up is related to melatonin. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if you have more exposure to dark, then essentially you can have uh, what's called a phase shift of your melatonin production. Melatonin can either start to become produced earlier, which is a, a total shift in your biological clock, or it actually can come later in some people, too, because of how dark it is in the morning. Right. It's actually So some people will shift ahead. Some people will shift behind as it relates to melatonin, and it throws off the entire biological clock. Which is interesting because that little shift in melatonin has far-reaching effects, yeah. right? Because we know that melatonin, the rhythm of melatonin affects the circadian rhythm of cortisol. Mm-hmm. We've talked on prior episodes how cortisol has far-reaching effects in many different body systems. Yeah. So it's interesting to think that just this little shift in light affects melatonin. That shift in melatonin affects cortisol, and that can affect so many other important health implications. Yeah, and when we're talking about other health implications, we should get into that a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. what, are, what are some of the health implications that, that we're talking about? You know, interestingly, when it's a change in a time zone or a change in daylight savings time, anecdotally, there and in published literature, there's a higher amount of oh, yeah, it's bad. cardiovascular risk. I start to worry every attacks, single time we do this. accidents. <laughs> There's mood disorders, Uh there's immune-mediated things like colitis, there's higher incidence of some of these really important disease processes. Not only that, you have to go around and just change all your clocks. 
the, the worst. clock changing bit of it. Your car. Are you, are you do you do you like immediately go through on that day and like f- change every single clock that you know of? I have to because it's maddening. And thankfully, you know, these days your cell phone automatically changes for your alarms or we used to oversleep a lot. But that doesn't happen as much now. Maddening, huh? It's yep. an interesting choice of words there. It's, it's maddening. <laughs> <laughs> Part of my inner psychosis, sir. Okay. Well, what do you do? Do you go change your clocks immediately? Uh, I don't, like, seek out clocks to change oh. necessarily. Like, uh-huh. I'll sort of say, like, okay, well, this clock, you know, I'm used to looking at the, the oven. It's usually, like, the oven uh-huh. that uh-huh. is, like, my mainstay. <laughs> I mean, of course, like, other than the phone. But I, right. I, for some reason, I, I look at the oven time. That's <laughs> your North bit. Star. <laughs> That's right. It's the authority <laughs> on time in our household. <laughs> so that one gets changed. You know, maybe the microwave. Right. And then, like, uh, later in the day, I'll notice, okay, there's, like, the clock on the wall that needs to be changed. Right. But the, they'll... they'll There'll be some that slip through the cracks. Like I have a little clock down here in my office at work, mm-hmm. and like that one wow. probably doesn't get updated for ever a week or and so. And then it's right, just right twice a twice a year. No, it's not that bad. <laughs> well, let's hone this in just a little bit. We talked about the association of time zone changes with a lot of metabolic disarray, things like diabetes, heart disease, strokes, immune mediated diseases. Let's focus in on mood specifically and really dive into that a little bit because a lot of people get depressed around this time of year. Yeah. So, you know, the thing that clinically we see most commonly and we see in the literature is this condition called seasonal affective disorder, Mm -hmm. which is shortened to SAD, Mm -hmm. which is sort of apropos. Right. And seasonal affective disorder is truly a subtype of depression, right? Right. So why don't we talk a little bit about some of the signs and symptoms that you might be presenting with if you had seasonal affective disorder? Yeah, so you would think of the normal symptoms of major depression, like just feeling down and depressed, losing interest at activities that you used to enjoy, changes in your weight, problems with sleep, low energy, hopelessness, worthlessness. But it's that concept that they're having having these symptoms in these specific four to five months in a part of a year. Yeah, and it just begs the question, like, what are the mechanisms behind right. that? Like, it's really interesting yeah. that you're just going to have exacerbation of symptoms like within this window. Well, what are some? Well, the first, there's several hypotheses about okay. the mechanisms, and uh-huh. they might not be mutually exclusive, right? Okay. It, it could be a multifactorial oh. uh, etiology here. But uh, so, starting with one of them is what I sort of alluded to before, which is this phase shift of melatonin. Mm-hmm. So, because in the morning, dawn is later, you've got more dark, mm-hmm. it essentially leads to longer production of melatonin, shifting that cycle forward. In some individuals, it'll shift backwards because it gets darker early in the evening. They, their onset of melatonin production starts earlier. So some huh. people will shift one way or another. Okay. But um, that's that's one hypothesis because of that, the, the, the melatonin phase shift. Is there anything genetic to it? Well, as it relates to the genetics of it, it kind of goes back to these different hypotheses because with each one of them, there's mm-hmm. kind of these genetic abnormalities that may be underpinning it. So for example, another hypothesis is related to serotonin and dysfunctions in serotonin, which makes sense given right. the, its right. relationship with depression, right? So we know from studies that serotonin production is lowest in the winter and highest in the summer. Mm -hmm. And it may be due to the fact that the amount of light that someone is exposed to, the impact of the light on what we talked about before with the melatonin and pineal Mm -hmm. gland and the circadian rhythm and its impacts on serotonin production. And given the role of serotonin as it relates to satiety and feeding regulation, that might explain the tendency of patients with SAD to crave carbs and gain weight during the winter depressive episodes. 
And there's another thought out there, too, mm-hmm. uh, which is called retinal subsensitivity. What? I know. And there's some genetic variations that might be underpinning this. But as it relates to it, it's, it's essentially the idea that some people ultimately, because of the way that their rods, their cones, their photoreceptors mm-hmm. and their eyes work, mm-hmm. actually have an increased demand for light. Wow. And so there's been some studies on this. One of those is a naturalistic study where Mm -hmm. they found that women with seasonal affective disorder actually spent more time outdoors Uh in the summer, but not in the winter as compared to uh, the non-seasonal affective disorder controls. That's fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, the other fascinating thing about this is that, Mm -hmm. you know, if that hypothesis is at least in part true. Okay. It's not necessarily just with respect to seasons, right? That would make sense as far as different latitudes as well. Right. And and overall just light exposure. Okay. And it just makes me think back to like when I was living in Seattle Hmm. and how it's cloudy nine months out of the year. And what we know about the mood disorder rates in an area like the Pacific Northwest as Uh compared to other areas of the country. And ultimately, it's why I had to get out of there as fast as I possibly could. (laughs) Way to alienate the entire Northwest, Michael. Beautiful area of the country. Send those complaints to Michael at podcast.gds.net. I miss it. Great food. (laughs) Terrible weather. Yeah. Well, are there any nutritional etiologies to why this might occur, seasonal affective disorder? Well, there's probably a bunch that we haven't explored, but I think one of the most common things that we think about as it relates to seasonal affective disorder is vitamin D. Ah, that makes sense. Why don't we explore that further and do a vitamin D? What does it do? All right, before we get into this, okay, it needs to be stated that what? we could probably do... Two, three, four oh, separate podcasts on true. vitamin D. And maybe we will. And maybe we will. But let's narrow this down and really just talk about vitamin D as it relates to mood okay. and seasonal affective disorder. Sounds like a plan. So right out of the gate is a starting place. Low levels of vitamin D are associated with depression. Okay. Patty. What? Tell me a little bit about vitamin D. Well, just some very basic facts. Vitamin D is also referred to as calciferol. It's a fat-soluble vitamin. It's present in a few foods and can be obtained from sun exposure foods and supplements. But really, when you take it in, it's biologically inert and it has to be hydroxylated to be activated, which gives you two different types of vitamin D as it relates to food or supplements. There's D2 or D3. Ergo calciferol or cholecalciferol. Yes, 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 yes. Respectively. So when you hydroxylate vitamin D, it comes in forms of 25-hydroxy or 125-hydroxy. Vitamin D. Yeah, and so when we're thinking about measuring levels in the serum, it's usually 25-hydroxy. Vitamin D. And we use that because the 125 has a really short half-life measured in hours, and so the serum levels are more tightly regulated. But then there's this whole component about sunlight, right? Right. Where does that fit in? Because I know sunlight's important. They call this like the sunshine vitamin or something like that. Well, the sun, or UV radiation, can penetrate uncovered skin and convert cutaneous 7-dehydrocholesterol to pre-vitamin D3, which then in turn becomes D3. So that's a totally separate mechanism. Yep. So you can get it through your diet and do all this sort of conversion work, Mm -hmm. or you can make it through this conversion with UV light. That's right. Okay, so we have all this circulating vitamin D. Then what happens? Well... 
vitamin D as it relates to depression, uh, there's a couple different things at play there. And again, we're still researching this and its roles, but there's, uh, there's a lot of epidemiological studies that have linked low levels of serum vitamin D to depression, depressive symptoms. Um, and this has been strengthened by the fact that we've discovered that there are vitamin D receptors in the central nervous system and in the brain. And not only are there vitamin D receptors in the brain, mm -hmm. there's actually uh, vitamin D response elements in the regions of serotonin genes. So they it might also play an epigenetic role in serotonin production. So there, we've got epidemiologic studies, we've mm -hmm. got mechanisms of action, and we've also got some uh, randomized control trials where they've actually given vitamin D uh, double blind in a double blind fashion, right? And they've actually seen improvements in depression scores in the vitamin D groups. Well, this makes perfect sense. There's less sunlight yeah. in the fall. Less ability to make it, so you're more reliant right. on the metabolism of it in your diet. And we see how lower amounts of vitamin D can contribute to depression, so this makes perfect sense. It makes sense, and I get the feeling mm -hmm. that this is not the last time we'll be talking about vitamin D. And there you go. That's what vitamin D does as it relates to mood. You know, that is interesting how your skin converts something cutaneous 7-D-hydrocholesterol to pre-vitamin D3. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, with the skin, right? Yeah. Like, but, what a great organ. But Our largest organ. Fair. Does all these things. Detoxification organ. Mm -hmm. And, oh, by the way, it makes hormones. Fun fact. We talk about your skin making vitamin D with sunlight. Because it's the type B kind of UV radiation, if you're Getting sun exposure through glass, like a window, yeah, it doesn't work because it can't penetrate glass. So you can't sit near a window with sun coming through and think you're elevating your vitamin D because you're not. Wait, so there's a certain type of UV light called UVB? Correct. And UVB can't make vitamin D through glass? That's right. More like B for bogus. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we talked about vitamin D. Mm -hmm. and how it might be an interesting, important therapeutic as it relates to seasonal affective disorder and this whole issue around light, whether we're changing hours around or whatever we're doing, trying to be humans. And so what are some other things that we think about from an intervention standpoint that might be effective? Well, maybe start with ordering a NutriVal where you can directly look at levels of vitamin D. You can also, like Michael just said, think about light therapy. And so... Since the 1980s, a lot of people have started using light therapy where they actually get a bright light box. They sell these things. Yes. And you sit in front of this light box every day for 30 to 45 minutes, usually first thing in the morning, right? Yeah. Try to increase your light exposure to help regulate that melatonin. Yeah, and this goes back to treating that melatonin phase shift issue that we talked about before in that hypothesis. And it's actually, uh, there's been some studies on like people who do the light box therapy in the morning versus in the evening versus in the middle of the day. Um, some differences between the different studies that have been done, but for the most part, it seems like the morning might be most effective because it really does reset your circadian rhythm. Um, but it, it was also shown that doing it in the morning and the evening had some benefit as well, which may go back to some of that vitamin D overlap here. Yeah, and some of those light boxes are actually about 20 times brighter than regular indoor light, and it can filter out potentially damaging UV waves. But if just you can, as an aside, too, uh -huh. do you know you can use these light boxes for the treatment of acne? 
Yeah, actually I did. Those light boxes have been used for a lot of different modalities, but seasonal affective disorder is one of them. They use them from like fall to spring, but a lot of people with skin disorders also use them because it does filter out all of those damaging rays. Another thing to consider is that if this is a subtype of major depression, cognitive behavioral therapy or antidepressant medications have also been used as it relates to seasonal affective disorder. And the other piece of this is that because you know, the seasons come every year and you can predict that this is going to happen. Some people begin implementing some of these therapies as the seasons start to change before the symptoms begin to manifest. I also wonder, given the relationships with serotonin that we've discussed, uh, whether something like a 5-HTP might be indicated. Uh, We know that uh, this has been used quite frequently in patients who suffer from depression. Yeah, there is some research around tryptophan intake and 5-HTP, so that's interesting too. What does the research say? Well, It talks about how if your tryptophan deplete, it can reverse the effects of the bright light therapy in patients with seasonal affective disorder. So tryptophan deficiency, deficiency in the precursors to serotonin, makes sense, right? Totally. Eat your pork chops. (laughs) Get your tryptophan. That's right. Well, Patty, I'm looking at the clock here. Uh, Looks like we're a few minutes behind. I don't know whether it's a few minutes or an hour and a few minutes behind, but regardless, we're behind. And uh, I think it's time for question of the day. with this one, huh? I wanted to use the short one. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's okay. It's terrible. What? But terrible by design, of course. Well, I appreciate that you want the deep cut throwback. The question of the day is, we've been talking about seasonal affective disorder, light, not enough light in the winter. Is there an opposite situation is there like a problem that can occur with like too much light or something going on in the summer where it gets all yeah wonky great question thank you to whoever sent that in or was that you michael uh no it was uh it was on this paper oh okay something else actually interestingly yes there's an opposite pattern there's the summer pattern seasonal affective disorder what it's a lot less common but we thought about you know we think about the the seasonal affective disorder in the winter, it's more like hibernating, right? Oversleeping, overeating, withdrawal. But in the summer pattern, it's a little bit different. It's trouble sleeping. It's insomnia. It's poor appetite causing weight loss. It's restlessness, agitation, and anxiety. So it's kind of the opposite type of symptoms, but it still has a seasonal way about it. So it still falls under seasonal affective disorder. Interesting. So we should probably revisit the summer pattern of seasonal affective disorder when the summer comes. Why are you looking at me? No reason. Next time on The Lab Report, Pandit Dasa. Yeah, imagine living as a monk in the heart of New York City. I could imagine that. I always wanted to be a monk. I I think you'd be a good monk. I think I'd have a hard time figuring out the robes. Um. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear... Please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. I think the change in season has affected my speaking patterns. Yeah, and it's definitely affected my central processing. Yeah, I'm like tripping over words. I'm like, why why can't I speak? What?